0: we all control our own attitude and our perception to what has happened to us or what is happening in front of us. For an example, you know, like over here in the UK, it it rains all the time. It's not nice weather and everyone complains about the weather and it's like, well, Can you control it? No. Well, why waste time, energy, um, for other examples, money, um, emotional energy, on worrying about something you can't control? So that's one thing that I've really really focused on the last couple of years is controlling my attitude and focusing on the things that I can control and letting go of the things that I can't. And whenever I find myself wanting or you know really being upset about something in life or something that has happened i go well can i can i control it can i make a difference can i alter this no okay and it 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 sounds it sounds really simple but i would just go okay fine it's done it's over move on i don't waste any time or energy on this and some people say oh well you just don't care and it's like well i do care but i can't do anything about it so like, what do you want me to do? I'm not gonna waste energy, time, and emotional uh, drain on me by worrying about or focusing on something that I can't control or can't alter or can't do anything about.
1: Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. I'm Jess, your host, and I'm here with my co-host, Coach BJ. And this is the place where we share stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose. And oh my, our guest today has definitely walked the gauntlet to finding his purpose more than once. We've got Luke Tybersky, extreme adventurer with us today from London. And like many of you, we first heard Luke's story back in 2015 on the Ritual podcast. We've been following him ever since, and perhaps we think we know what he's been up to, but not until the recent release of his book, Chasing Extreme, do we really get the whole story. So, Luke, welcome to the show.
0: It's an absolute pleasure to be on the show, and it's really cool that uh, you guys first heard me back in 2015. When, for the time and, and where I was at in my journey, I was very open on Rich's podcast for what I had spoken about previously so people who had never heard of me or even some of my friends would hear me first on Rich's podcast and went wow like you were really open and honest about a lot of things and and at the time I was like yeah I know It was like, it's one of the most open times I've ever been but deep down I was like yeah but that's only like 40% of it. So it's really cool that you've got that perspective of when you first heard me and that's how much I actually opened up. But now, you know, three and a half years later, here I am and I've actually told the whole story and you know it.
1: Yeah, I know it. I, I just finished the book this morning. I BJ left early for the pool and I thought I'm making a cup of tea. I'm going to shorten my meditation. I shortened my meditation for you. And I just <laughs> binged on those last chapters. Uh, and we've, we've been doing a bit of binging. Like I revisited that ritual podcast, uh, last week and listened to that and knowing, you know, what i know now you can you can tell that there was some holding back there but but was there really i mean it's like it's baby steps when we're opening up the vault right which is what you've done you've got to kind of take baby steps cuz you know this isn't what you've navigated really what you've navigated physically mentally emotionally there's no curriculum for this and we really need to figure it out ourselves and Um, You know, that said, being yogis and and living a spiritual life that that we do, you know, we, through my own meditation practice, I have found the best and deepest answers come from within, but they also require the biggest amount of bravery to, you know, show up to those answers and execute what it is that I'm being asked of. Um, so you've been meditating, right? Have you been meditating mindfulness? You've been, I know that was a part of you really healing through this. Um, and what have you found about like answers coming from within?
0: Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. Um, so I, I unknowingly started meditating when I was 15, which is 21 years ago um, when I was playing elite soccer in Australia. But we were taught it was relaxation uh, exercises, uh, and I've been doing the similar practices throughout my whole life. I've, I've gone up and down, and there's been periods where I haven't, and there's been periods where I've got right into it. But the last probably four years, like I have been a little bit more regular and experimental with my practices. And what I've realised is that I, that inner voice that's been inside my head, I've really stopped to listen to it. Mm-hmm. and really tried to understand it because a long time especially especially throughout 2014 2015 when i did the, the ultimate triathlon and when i was on rich's podcast uh, about 3 or 4 months before i actually did the triathlon uh, the, the sort of the voices inside my head it was it was telling me that i i couldn't open up because I was still ashamed of what I was going through, uh, you know, in terms of my depression and my mental health and, and also the, the self-harm in the form of endurance sports, you know, and that's, that's something that I, I spoke about a lot in, in Chasing Extreme, my book, is that I, I was addicted to endurance sports, but at the same time, that was my, my self-harm. So when I would come back and stop, I would actually understand that that's what I was doing. But it was almost like I didn't have the personal tools to equip myself or to learn to actually try and do something about it.
1: Yeah, it, the you were for sure. I had this note, and I don't know if they're you, my words or your words, but like it was like you were addicted to just punishing yourself, addicted to um, to beating yourself up. But in a way, it's isn't that how we can really feel, right? Because there was a part of you that was screaming to feel, to feel what it was that you were going through. And it was almost like, I don't know if you'd agree with this, it was almost like it was displaced as maybe a way of trying to heal yourself, but that, as you know between those events and after the ultimate triathlon, it was all still there. The emotions, the voice, that dark voice in your head that maybe this was a way for you to feel something along the way because I, I've never had the, the depths of depression that you have experienced but I've heard it's like a numbness.
0: It was almost like you're in the middle of a void and mm-hmm. you know you're there but you can't really feel and, and every time you go and walk towards something, it keeps getting further away. So it's like you're in this almost like this, this big black hole. That I talked, I actually used that analogy in the in the book. That I would dig down into this big hole, and then it's like, okay, I'm here. So it's like I was walking around in this bubble that I couldn't really touch anything, but I could still feel everything. So to actually try and I don't know, trying to get out of that, that was sort of like my my cry for help was I was trying to do all these extreme adventures because I was trying to be part of the world and and I guess use all my my senses rather than being in that sort of depression bubble, that depression hole where they were dumbed down. Yeah, it was, it was definitely trying to get that next high, you know, talking about addiction. Um, it was uh, the endurance sports were, were that because when I was doing them, I felt amazing. I felt alive. I felt like this was living. And then when I wasn't, then the lows were really low. And it, and it wasn't just like some of the bigger challenges. I ran through the desert in, in Morocco and I ran down Mount Everest and you know I ran through a tropical forest in China and all, all these like big international things. But it was as simple as like, oh, I'm having a really low day today. Okay, yeah, I can go and run. And I wouldn't go for an hour run. I'd go for a five or six hour run. And... Then that would make me feel great because I'm out doing something and I'm actually feeling life and I'm living it. But then I would come back, come back to reality, and it would all come crashing down. And I would try and get that feeling and those sensations in life back by binge eating and, you know, thinking, oh, when can I go and train again in a different way so I can get those endorphins and feel, feel. Good about myself, really.
1: Yeah, so we're we're starting to talk a little bit about like the adventures that you've had and can you just for maybe our listeners that don't know who you are, can you give us a little rundown? I mean, you found something that became your life's pursuit at the age of 4 and at the age of 28 it ended. So can you take us like from basically what that sport was and and just that resume yeah. of crazy events that you've done?
0: I find it really interesting that people know like specific details about my life now after reading my book. And it still doesn't sink in initially because people have these like really specific time frames or or details. Like you just said, like I started at four and to twenty eight and it's the fact that someone's just read my book. I still find that really funny, um, (laughs) like a little kid. (laughs) But yeah, so I wanted wanted to play soccer ever since I was four, professional soccer, and I grew up through the ranks in Australia, and I wasn't very good up until I was about 15. Um, That was a combination of me growing into my body and hard work that I would put in through my teenage years because all I ever wanted to do was play with my friends, and I was never as good as them, so I would never get picked teams and I would go home and train and I would train 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 all by myself and then a combination of that hard work and as I said me growing my body as a 14 year old I started to make representative teams and started to play at an elite level um, on a national level and um, yes I then played in the lower professional leagues in Australia went over to America played in college played in the lower professional leagues over there as well and then went over to Europe to try and crack it over there. I played a little bit in England and went to Belgium. That was an interesting experience, learning a new language and a different culture. And then I landed in, in London, and I had some football clubs that wanted to, soccer clubs that wanted me to try with them. And I got injured, and I kept getting injured, I kept breaking down, I kept getting fit, get breaking down, getting fit. I wasn't really healthy, and I was in a relationship that, um, I shouldn't have been in for as many years as i was and that wasn't very good for my health Um, and then i had three surgeries in 11 months when it was at its worst in terms of uh big injuries, and I just kept breaking down in terms of torn muscles, strained ligaments, things like this. And then at the ripe old age of 28, I decided enough was enough. After all my family and friends told me about four months earlier, I should give it up. In a knee-jerk reaction, because of a loss of identity, because of I still felt like I had something to prove to myself as an athlete, I decided that I was going to sign up to this big race that was across the desert that was the equivalent of running six marathons in seven days and it's called the marathon des Sabs and it was in six months from by the time i signed up and i basically had six months to go from a broken down injured footballer who was battling with depression but not speaking about it to a single soul at the time to an ultra endurance athlete who was going to run 155 miles through the desert in seven days
1: Did you, like... How do
2: you (laughs) grasp, like, it doesn't sound like you quite grasped it. You were just like, all all in. You were like, okay, that sounds cool. Let's do it.
0: I had never ran (laughs) 10K before in my life when I signed up to it. So it was almost like I was naive enough to try and stubborn enough to actually like get through it. There's a famous quote that's similar to that. I can't remember who it was, but it was something like that. And, you know, I was always willing to push myself in fitness sessions when I played soccer and I was always willing to do the hard work. And I thought, well, it's just one foot in front of the Like literally how hard can it be? So I think my <laughs> naivete was probably my best friend at that period of time. And then I just started to set out to start running. And that's how it all began.
1: It's, and it's, you know, you have a, you have a documentary on this on your YouTube channel. And of course you talk about it in depth on the book and, and you know, like day one, day one of the marathon to solve are you're having like IT band pain and flare up by day two, they've had to wrap your feet up. Like you called them mummified, like they had to mummify your feet. Um, day three you're like hobbling. I mean, and you've got so much far to go. And it's not like at night you're sleeping in plush accommodations. You're basically on the floor of the Sahara Desert underneath like a tent that only has two sides and, you know, on a, on a carpet, right? Like, cause you had to carry
2: everything.
0: Yeah, exactly right. You you disc really well.
2: <laughs> and uh, and you did not want to just finish the event, right? You wanted to come in. Oh yeah. Top fifty. So this this uh. this is what intrigues me because <laughs> you just go for the top, and I and I feel Luke that there's so many people out there that that go into these endurance races just because they want to finish it. Like I just want to finish an Ironman. I, I want to finish a half Ironman or whatever it is. But when you boldly, right from the start, go into the top 50, like you, you must have something deep inside that knows, and it could be that naivete. Like you just don't, you don't fear what most people fear in that first initial step towards achieving such a big goal.
0: No, you're right. Like I, I knew nothing. I didn't even know what it took to be in the top 50. I just knew that that was sort of like. Well, where all the cool kids hang out, and I thought that's where I want to be. (laughs) All the fast, cool kids. No, it was, it was for me, it was almost like I felt like I had something to prove to myself still as an athlete. Mm. That was part of the reason why I wanted to do um, this race, and I knew that I knew how hard I could push myself, but what did that mean in terms of running six marathons in seven days i had no idea but i think in terms of like the thing deep inside me that was going to push me is i was running away from facing up to the fact that i wasn't a soccer player anymore i had a massive you know loss of identity and that sort of fear i guess you could call it that's what was driving me so it wasn't a case of. I'm chasing down the guys in the top 50. I, it was almost like I was running away from the fact that if I stop running, so to speak, I'm going to have to face up to life. So I thought, I'm going to, for the six months that I'm going to train for the Marathon to Sabs, and I, like, it's not like I kept it quiet. I told everyone I was writing blogs about it that I'm going to finish in the top 50, you know, and everyone just thought I was crazy and absolute nutcase, which is, to be fair, I probably would have thought the same thing. I just thought, no, I'm going to go for this because I was just running away from life. And I thought, right, okay, so here's this opportunity for me. I can start my new life and I, I'm going to be this big endurance adventurer and I'm going to get my name sort of up there by finishing in the top 50. But it was fueled on fear. It was fueled on trying to prove something to myself. And it had nothing to do with anyone out sat in the desert except for the fact that The guy was talking to me in my mind was saying, you're not a footballer anymore, now what are you going to do? And I was basically trying to quiet my mind.
1: And so you talked a little bit about like having those, you know, not being able to pursue the career to the extent that you wanted to pursue it and then going after this marathon. And so, and even at the end of the marathon, you felt disappointed that you didn't, you felt that you felt flat, like that you didn't perform to your expectations. And then looking back on the football career, like that didn't meet your expectations either. So what have you learned about, like what, what have you found in your soul searching about expectations and how they've informed you and how they will continue to inform you in the future?
0: That's a great question and, and, and a fantastic thread to pull on from uh, yeah, my football career and then the marathon to Subs. I, I've learned from expectations that I think you should have them of yourself, but I think also they need you need to put them into perspective when you maybe you might don't reach you maybe don't reach them because I think for me personally, I had the highest of expectations of myself and it was always not comparing myself to others. It was always. To do the best that I could do. So then, when I knew I didn't fulfill my potential as a soccer player because of injury cut short, and because I didn't fulfill my potential during the marathon to start because of knee injuries and feet, you know, like I wasn't even tired at the end of some of the days because I couldn't run fast enough mm. to get tired. I couldn't run to sort of like my my threshold pace because I was hobbling so bad. So it was just like a really, really slow recovery walk, run the whole days. I think now I've realized I, I still have high expectations of myself. I'm able now, not then, but now to take a step back and look at all the things that I did achieve, all the knowledge I did gain, the connections I made, the community I've now involved in, so I'm able to actually look at all the positive takeaways that I got from that. And I don't necessarily look at the gap between where I ended up, where I expected. It was like, okay, this is where I'm at. Now let's, let's see all the positives from this. And that's how I look at life, but that's also how I look at projects, whether they be in business or in, in my endurance adventuring career as well.
1: Yeah, because when we're, if we're in the darkness, right? And we've all been in the darkness. We all have that voice in our head that says we're not good enough. This wasn't good enough. You didn't perform well enough. You could have gone harder. But if we're, if we're putting a hundred percent of our focus on that, then there's no way that we can see all the other things that are available to focus on, which is what can I be grateful for? What did go well? You know, what, what did come out of this, um, you know, connections with people like you've had some such extreme experiences that the connections that you've made with others has run so deep and, you know, coming off marathon to solve the next, there might've been some other things in in the middle, but the next big thing that I see is the Everest ultra where that was like, it's like, you just keep up leveling your suffering because you had like Giardia and you had, um, altitude sickness and that was crazy. But you made these deep connections you immersed yourself in this beautiful culture you stayed over there you lived over there for a while what did you learn from um living i've spent a little bit of time in india with um a tibetan population and i took so much away from that about just pure contentment and happiness with what you have, and even in that time where you know you were still really struggling and you didn't have the toolbox that you have now, what were some things that you took away from that experience of being over in Nepal?
0: Without sounding dramatic, it literally changed my outlook on life.
1: Yeah, I can, Although, I, yeah.
0: But it was almost like it changed it, but I parked it, because I wasn't ready to actually use it. So must have been about four weeks high up in the rural mountains where very few Westerners have ever been. The couple of ultra runners who I live with spoke very little English, but just enough to get by. No running water, no electricity. You know, I slept next to buffaloes, really, really remote. And the people that live in small communities, they live to survive every single day. They were some of the happiest people I've ever met because it was the connections they made with people. It was their family that that made life so special. And it was actually sitting down for a meal where the laughter, you know, I haven't heard people laugh like this before. It was deep, like from the belly, from the soul.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: People are so extremely happy, but they're nothing. So in one regard, it definitely changed my life to – appreciate the people I have around me and appreciate stopping and enjoying time with others and also appreciate what you have and then I came back from the pool and I started to get rid of a lot of possessions and I actually minimalized how I live but even to this day like you look at my wardrobe if I ever have to move house I can do it in one bag you know, apart from my training kit, which takes up too much space because <laughs> swimming, cycling, and running, you've got to have plenty of kit. Right. But in terms of nice clothes to go out, or i got two suits, that's it, a um, couple of nice pairs of trousers, like two pairs of jeans, and like that's basically it. So I actually culled a lot of clothes, culled a lot of possessions. I'm in a position now where lots of brands get in contact with me, and I say no to more things that I say yes. If people want to give me free stuff, it's like, Most of the time it's saying, no, look, I don't need it. I've got something that works just as well, or actually I don't think I'll use it, so you can just keep it. So I have this mentality where unless I truly need something, I would say 98% of the time I will turn it down or I won't try and go and buy something new that's flashy because in Nepal it really showed me that you don't need a whole lot to be extremely happy. But as I said, I learned this at the time. But apart from actually getting rid of some of my possessions, I parked it for several years before I could come around and retrieve this and actually start living it to the fullest because I was, it was almost like I was still on this journey and it's a, it's a golden nugget piece of knowledge that I learned. But I'm going to come back and get it. And that's what I did sort of in 2016 and 17 because I went to Nepal in 2013.
1: I remember the night before I came back from India calling BJ and saying, you're going to have to watch me when we get back because I want to give everything away. I just want to give everything away, mm-hmm. and like you said, the the laughter—it wasn't coming from like, "Oh, that was a funny thing that you said." It was like a state of being, and uh, I had a very similar experience spending time with um, Tibetan refugees over in in India, and it does give you this. It, cha- it like you, it changed me um, forever. It really that trip changed me forever, but. There was a part of you that knew, right? So there was that darkness, I think, that knew like, uh-oh, he's got like the keys to the kingdom. He, he's he got like, you went and you saw pure joy and happiness as, um, as a way of life. And so there was that darkness that was not ready to let that in. But the beautiful thing is that you kept it and you still remember it and you can still recall it. And now it can be a part of your life that you don't have to block it out anymore because the vault is open, right? Like you've pulled the plug on the darkness and um, to the point where, and that's the beautiful thing about it is that when we do open up, when we do become vulnerable, it's like, you can't go back from that. Like you set yourself on this trajectory of freedom and it doesn't mean that you won't still have days that you don't feel good or you're disappointed with your performance, but it doesn't, I mean, you can, you can answer this. Does it have the same hold on you as it, as it did before?
0: Oh, not at all. Not at all. So one of the things that I have worked on a lot that's really helped me is understanding that we all control our own attitude and our perception to what has happened to us or what is happening in front of us. For an example, you know, like over here in the UK, it, it rains all the time. It's not nice weather, and everyone complains about the weather. And it's like, well, can you control it? No. Well, why waste time, energy, um, for you know, other examples, money, um, emotional energy on worrying about something you can't control? So that's one thing that I've really start, like, really focused on the last couple of years is controlling my attitude and focusing on the things that I can control and letting go. Of the things that I can't, and whenever I find myself wanting or you know really being upset about something in life or something that has ha- happened, I go, well, can I can I control it? Can I make a difference? Can I alter this? No. Okay. And it, 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 so- it sounds really simple, but I would just go, okay, fine, it's done, it's over, move on. I don't waste any time or energy on this. And Some people say, oh, well, you just don't care. And it's like, well, I do care, but I can't do anything about it. So, like, what do you want me to do? I'm not going to waste energy and time and emotional uh, drain on me by worrying about or focusing on something that I can't control or can't alter or can't do anything about. That's been one of the key things for me over the last few years is really letting go of the things that, as I said, like I, I can't alter, I can't do anything about and focusing on the things that I can
1: You know, letting go is such a big one because I think detachment is one of the things that, you know, we're, as humans, we're here to learn because you know, when it all is said and done, eventually we have to detach from our bodies when we leave this earth. And so detachment is a big one and letting go is a big one. You know how it is when you've got those thoughts that are just hammering you, you know, and you're like, okay, I got to let it go. I got to let it go. I got to let it go. But it just keeps hammering you and hammering you. How do you let go? Like, what is it? What's kind of the how behind letting go for
0: you? I've actually had quite a few conversations around this topic this week, which is a perfect way to to finish the week. We're recording on a Friday. Um, and it's it starts with knowing why I want to do what I want to do and how I want to live my life. So whatever I'm trying to let go of, it's like, why am I letting, why do I want to let go? So it's really understanding that, and then it's how I want to live my life. So the way that I live my life now is really simple. I have a life philosophy that I've developed over the years. It's evolved. It will evolve again, and it's to build relationships, learn daily, and teach others what life has taught me. Now, I get out of bed, and the rest of the day before I get back into bed, that's my, they're my guiding principles. That's what keeps me on track to living my best life and if i'm not building relationships and if i'm not learning and if i'm not teaching others or helping others or a combination of the three then i've over the years i've understood that i don't want to be a part of a life where i'm not doing that so it comes down to the things that i'm trying to let go of are they part of the life that I want to live as Luke, as as an individual and as part of a, a relationship with my wife? Mm-hmm. If it's not, then I'm happy to let it go because it's like excess baggage, baggage. It's going to drag me down. And I've let go of relationships. I've stopped speaking to friends who I've known my entire life. And I've stopped doing things that I did my entire life because it's like they're not helping me move forward. Yes, it's difficult when you start sort of discarding some things in your life and, and letting go, but it's like anything. The more you do it, the easier it becomes. You know, you're know, you letting go of those some negative people in your life because you're actually going to meet other people who are more positive and love what you're doing to help you move forward.
2: Yeah, you need to create that space. You need to create that space to welcome in all these great things that are gonna happen. I know we learned that when we when we minimized and and downloaded, uh, downsized our entire lifestyle, and even to this point where we're living in, you know, a tiny 400 square foot.
1: (laughs) It's funny because actually we did end up giving everything away. (laughs) It just took a little bit longer than the day (laughs) I got back from India.
2: (laughs) But it opened up so much more, Luke. It's opened up so much more opportunity. And you're so right. It's just like with everything else. The fear is only there because Mm. we haven't done it, right? The more, you know this in training and racing and all these you know endurance events that we do. It's the more you do it, the more it becomes the norm. So why can't you apply that same strategy to everything in your life? Just everything that is unknown to you, explore it and and make it unknown. Therefore, you have no no little hidden pockets or things that scare you or, or bring you fear because you can speak to it and you you faced it.
0: Hundred percent. And one of the other things that I keep in mind and whether. It started in doing the endurance adventures, adventures that I do. But it's also I come back into my everyday life. If I do come at a crossroads where it's like, oh, this is something completely new for me, I'm not sure if I, if I should do this. Riding chasing extreme, how brutally honest, you know, great example. I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this. Should I? I'm scared. I've you know, there's a lot of fear going on, and I actually stop and I and I start talking to myself and says, okay, first step, could I die? No, I'm not going to die from writing a book. Okay, that's cool. Okay, could I get injured? Well, apart from a paper cut, a paper cut, or you know, carpal tunnel syndrome from typing. No, I'm not going to get injured. Okay, is it going to you know hurt me another another way, like emotionally or um, or anything like that? And it's like, well, it could, but it's going to be short lived. But then the flip side to that is, can I? can I create something, called, and what I'm doing, would, the reason why I'm having these conversations with myself, is it contributing to the world? Yeah, writing a book, being really honest about my story, I think it is, Like I think it can open the minds of people to see that we're capable of so much more, that people who do big endurance sports and set big goals still suffer from mental health during life, so it was like, okay, yes, I'm gonna write this book, but that can come down to relationships, that can come down to anything, As I will ask myself that question, can I die? So building a new relationship with this person. If I hang around this person, do I think I'm gonna die? Actually, yeah, because he's way crazier than I am. He (laughs) takes too much risk. I think I could. I'm not gonna spend time with him. So, like, it sounds weird, but this is the process I go through. Am I contributing to the world? Yes, I'm gonna do it. No, then, I'm probably not going to do it. And that's the process I go through.
1: That's a really high level way of living is is looking at it of, you know, is this for the greater good? Is what I'm doing for the greater good? And so we've got our own personal will, and you are very familiar with that will. You have a very strong will. You've willed yourself to many finish lines. You willed yourself to show up at all these football camps, like trying to get a contract and all this stuff, you guys, is in the book. You just have to read the book because we're leaving out like we are leaving out like 95% of the juicy details and they're all in the book. Um, but you have such a strong will. And then there's also this higher will, this higher power will, the divine will, which is really the, it's your highest self, your truest self. And that's the one that's here to fulfill your purpose, to fulfill and get to the other side of all of the things that you're here to get to the other side of. And the difference I think between the personal will and the divine will is like the personal will is just out for me. It's out for Luke. Like I, I got to prove something to myself because I didn't meet my expectations. And of course, it's like when you're in it, it's hard to see it. But then, we can take that will and we can merge it in with the higher will. And now our purpose in life and the things that we do, it's for the greater good. It's for everyone. It's for, um, it's in service and being in service is, I think, a, and such an incredible way to process energy, to overcome really a- energy and thoughts that don't serve us, that are harming to ourselves. It um, gives us purpose in this life. I think it creates compassion because we can say to these people like, oh man, I've been there there. Like I've been there too. I see where you are. I've been there. And I hope my experience will help you get out of what you're in. And then it also, I think creates some self worth that. We're seeing that our experiences, that your experience, Luke, of writing this book and becoming vulnerable, is going to help other people who are, let's say, thinking about writing a book, but they've got that ch- that those chapters that they just don't want to include yet. And I know I've heard on a um, podcast before that you had a lot of this book written, and you said, "Yeah, it would have been a good book. It would have been an adventurous book, and and all of that." But then. You had a friend, I think, who helped you write the book and and you said to her, well, why don't you explain like what you said to her? Like, I'm going to send you some things, right? And like, once I send them to you, they're in the book.
0: Yeah, so I initially was I initially thought my experience in Nepal would be a great adventure book, and I thought because it's something that very few people would do, so right, I'm going to write a book there. I met up with some uh, met some people who became my friends who sort of helped me uh, start the book. So I had no idea how to do it. So I was going to write it, and I was going to finish at the end of my Nepal trip. And I'm writing, I'm writing a couple hours every day, getting through it, getting through it. I wrote about eighty thousand words. Uh, 60,000 words maybe, and then life happened. So relationship breakdown, battled with insomnia, sleeping about five or six hours a week, um, started binge eating, uh, and was just really not in a good place. And as I said, life happens. Couple of years went by, the Ultimate Triathlon came about and finished, and a good friend of mine, she said to me, you should write a book about the ultimate triathlon because it's crazy. And you've got the documentary about it. Now you should write the book. I said, yeah, it's a good idea. And she said, we'll do a bit of backstory about your life and all the other adventures. And I said to her, and I said, well, I've actually already wrote a bit of a book about that. So I sent her the 60,000 words or 70, whatever it was, which is quite a you know, decent-sized manuscript already. And she just read it, and it was up to the basically the end of Nepal. And she was like, "This is amazing, like this is crazy." I said, "Yeah, like definitely, I'll help you out." I said, "You write it all, and then I'll help structure it." And basically, I said to her, "I said, right, there's like two year gap here. There's a lot of stuff that went on, and I'm gonna make a deal with you." And she, like, she's clueless. She knew nothing about my depression. No one did. It was nothing about anything. And I said right, whatever I send to you, she'd moved back to Australia from London at the time, whatever I send to you is fair game, it goes in the book, no matter what it is. And she's on the other end of the phone going, yeah, sure, sure. And I said, no, whatever I write, it's in the book. And I made this decision just then that I'm gonna be completely open and honest because one, I trusted her, and two, I thought this was an opportunity for me to tell the whole story I thought it would be a great opportunity for me to progress in my self development, actually getting it all out. Like I didn't think far ahead to the fact that it's going to be out there in, in the big, the big world for people to read. But I was just like, "Yeah, writing it will be great." I said to her, "Whatever I send is is fair game," and she's like, okay. So I started writing stuff to her. And some of the stuff that I hadn't even spoken out loud before, and as soon as I send it, I'm freaking out and I'm googling how to unsend email and going, <laughs> oh no, I can't believe I sent that. And and because the time difference, she's she's in bed and then I go to bed and I get up and I get a message from her and it says, are you okay? That's it, because she just knew. What I had sent her was just going to rip me up to the core, and um, yeah, it, it was a it was a very cathartic experience to write it. But I would be lying to say that I didn't cry a lot of the times when I was writing stuff and typing at the same time. On one side, I was like, I have to get this out. I have to get this out. But then on the other side of it, I'm I'm crying. I'm I'm literally crying tears going. I'm reliving this, and it's painful. Um, but as as I've also said, I would vomit on the page, and Jane would sort of take the ingredients and turn it into a five five course meal, cultivate it into the 105,000 words um, that it is, and she helps sort of say strengthen this. We're removing that because no one cares what you had for breakfast on <laughs> Tuesday. The seventh of June in two
1: thousand and sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you'd be um, surprised. Is-
0: yeah, you'd be surprised. <laughs> you'd be surprised. <laughs>
1: yeah. um, but you yeah. know, there's no mistakes. Like there- I don't think there's any mistakes in um, in this this journey of life that we live. And it's so perfect. Like you come back from Nepal and the story of the Everest ultra, I have to tell you, when I first heard that you did the Everest ultra, I was like, Oh, that sounds good. Like a downhill ultra. Maybe I'll do that. And then I read that chapter and I was like, (laughs) I am never doing that. That's insane because it's not just downhill. It's, it's crazy. But so you think like, okay, yeah, it's good. Like I've got that, all, all that great stuff from Nepal. And then, um, you fall into like just life happens and you know, you're in the depression. Now you're starting, you know, just self-destructive behaviors and binge eating and, and all of this. And then the ultimate triathlon, which, um, you described, which I, 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 it was so perfect because I was feeling the same thing. And then when I read these words in the book that the ultimate triathlon was like your overdose that the ultimate triathlon mm. was as amazing as it was. And, and, you know, there's a documentary on Amazon for Prime members, you gotta see that. But then you also include stuff that in the book that's not in the documentary, so you gotta do both. But coming off of that, um, at the end of the documentary, They're interviewing your wife and she's your girlfriend at the time. And she says, you know, if it all went to plan, she felt like if, if everything went to plan at the ultimate triathlon, she felt like that, that wouldn't have been, you would have felt that that wasn't enough. Like it wasn't enough for you, you know? And so, and I was, I was really digesting those words after watching the movie and I was thinking, gosh, this is like as ultimate as it was, I think it's actually the ultimate rock bottom.
0: Yeah, 100%, because it forced me to stop physically, mentally, and emotionally. And I think if I did it, and I did the 2,000 kilometers in 12 days from Morocco to Monaco, which is the ultimate triathlon, and if I did everything and it went to plan, it was perfectly um, you know, completed, I think I would have went, well, okay, I need I need to do something bigger, almost like I need something to break me. It did break me in so many ways, but more so, it forced me to stop and look within because now I couldn't have this thing that I always relied on in exercise for nearly 18 months because of physical health issues. So you learn a little bit about my mental strength in the documentary and you read in the book a little bit more in depth of how i'm able to do that but what the ultimate triathlon actually did afterwards was my brain was still going yep yeah, right let's go let's do this but my body was just like okay we get it you're the my mind is stronger than my body now like i want everyone to listen and, and understand that my mind is so much stronger than my body which is normally the other way around for most people is a fact the only way that my body could get my mind to listen and to take notice was it to literally start shutting down so different systems in my body started shutting down and i won't go into detail because it's you know it's all in the book and stuff if i didn't have that i still think i would have been on this sort of exercise drug induced binge that was you know four years of my life doing all these extreme adventures but because it actually made me stop physically mentally and emotionally and it did break me and it was my overdose and it was my rock bottom i realized i had so many people who were worried about me and they were worried not just about what i was going to do next but they were worried about my actual physical health and like long-term like was I going to be okay in 10 years because some of the stuff that was that was happening with me there could have been long-term so I thought okay how I actually want to live and I actually had to spend the time to look within and go how actually do I want to live my life
1: I can speak to when I first started racing triathlon especially long distance like it wasn't long before I got up into the long distance because it breaks you down more you know I liked that and I'm the first to admit that when I first started in endurance sports, I was definitely running from myself, but you can't run from yourself forever. So if the ultimate triathlon wasn't the one that broke you, there was, you were going to pursue it, uh, so perfectly until you got to that, that point of so much pain and that you had to get clear, you know, And, and what happened was your body stopped and you couldn't train. I mean. To take a day off for some athletes is so difficult, and you had to not train for 18 months. So, you know, as extreme as the the adventures were that you were doing, just as extreme was your, your healing that came after the Ultimate Triathlon, which I think is, like, ugh, such a gift. I mean, it's such a gift. When you look back, I mean, can you see just the perfection in the plan?
0: I realized just... How important it was at that time to understand what I was doing to my myself as as a whole being. My wife is amazing. Yeah, she was a, a guiding light. Um, she really would just. She understands me. There's only one person that understands me more, and that's my mum. And I have a very close relationship with my mum, but she. She understands me so much, and she would just give me things to think about. Just drop a little thought into my mind, and, I, and she would know that I couldn't just disregard it. And I would think about it, and I would think about it, and I'd start pulling on that a little bit. So it, it got to a point where I realized, yeah, this is the best thing that's actually happened to me. I've had to check off what's important in my life.
1: And the thing that she did for you is that she let you suffer. And I think that that's something that's so important. You know, she she knew she couldn't take away your pain, but to allow you to have your your full experience so that you could have your full, you know, uncovering and healing and getting back into the light. so one thing I wanted to touch upon, because I, we've gotten this question before from our listeners, and so I know that there's some listeners out there right now who are struggling with this, is the binge eating. And, you know, do you have any tips for them or any advice or guidance as to how you navigated, you know, away from that, or, or maybe you haven't, or how, how at least that you're, you know, conscious of the eating now because i know a lot of people struggle with that we've had questions about it and so is there any tips that you can give them or advice from your own experience
0: oh, yeah that's a that's a big question i actually didn't do anything to try and stop that because that was just a byproduct of where i was at in life and it was trying to fill a void and um, so i was trying to spend more time on understanding who I was and how I wanted to live my life. And when I sort of started to progress with that and there were times where I still had binge eating episodes, it was because um, I wanted to sort of – I would have low days because I didn't really understand Mm -hmm. what else I needed in my life and to make me feel good, like the whole dopamine binge, I had some food, makes me feel good for a minute and I feel feel rough. What I would suggest to people is know that you're not alone and the people who – truly care about you they may not understand but they will support you apart from my from my wife no one knew about my binge eating until my book came out um, or at least the pre, pre-release pre when I gave it to family and friends um, towards the end of last year but I when I first started to talk about it with my wife because I was very ashamed of this like she didn't quite understand but she was supportive being open as as much as you can to people who are really close to you it will make a difference because you realize you're not alone and binge eating is a is a very is something that you do alone you don't do it with a group of friends if you can find support whether it's your your spouse or your or your friends or your sibling or your parents or training partners you're close with then i think life will get a little bit easier because you'll start talking about your binge eating but it It won't just be about that. You'll start to understand more of what's missing and maybe you and other people can help you find that together.
1: Yeah, so it's not like this dirty little secret because it doesn't need to be a dirty little secret. And I think you really nailed it. It's almost like the alcohol to the alcoholic. It's really just the byproduct. It's the it's the solution, not the problem. And Mm. it's It's what is holding you back from living a fulfilling life, and so it's always that deep inner work, and it's trusting that people love you as they say they love you, and that they will, they will meet you and support you. And those who won't, then they're not; they don't need to be in your life, and it's okay. Like as as you have had people fall away, we have also had Mm -hmm. people fall away from our life. Okay, and it's okay. And then I just want to, I want to. Uh, finish it up with you share a mantra in the book and I, and I just love it. And I want, would love for you to expand on it a little bit. Uh, the mantra is clarity is the eternal energy that fuels our dreams. And it seems to me that you've, you have, um, experienced a lot of clarity over the last few years. And how do you feel that that clarity informs, you know, you now and and your future?
0: A, a, a thought that just popped into my head once about what is this energy that helps us move forward. And I was like, well, knowing why you do something can help. And it's like, well, it's more than just knowing why. And I thought, it's, and it was just, it just sort of came into my head and I wrote it down, which is great because I normally forget things like this. And I've just, I just continued to use, <laughs> I continue to use it. And I speak around the world on topics of mindset and my endurance sports. And I use it always at the end because the way I sum it up is, if we are clear in how we want to live our life, then no matter what obstacle comes across us or whatever setback we have is that we will be able to dig deep within ourselves and find that energy and find that solution because we know the purest and the real reason why we're doing it in the first place. So we will be willing to do whatever is needed to adapt And I think that goes from taking that first step out the door on a Monday morning to go to work. If you're really struggling with your mental health or that's with the relationship or that's with anything in life. It doesn't have to be sport. I just really have spent the time. And I mentioned this earlier is whatever I do something or whenever something comes into my life, it's like, why, if I'm going to spend the, time, effort, energy, money or whatever it is and if I can understand why that I can create that clarity but if I don't have that clarity in something, I don't understand it and I don't think it's going to be valuable to me or valuable to others, I will just move it to the side. So it's almost like my screening process. If I can't get the clarity in what it is or something I'm trying to do, then I just remove it or I don't let it come into my life. Mm.
1: I love it. Yeah. Clarity, clarity, I think is gold. I think it's the, it's the potent potion for, you know, moving forward in our life from where we are and and seeing the truth of how we're moving through the world. And and if we want to continue along those paths or switch it or, you know, change our message or look deep within to, you know, for some healing that may be really asking for us to look at. The book is Chasing Extreme. We're so psyched to have had this convo with you. Where can people get the book?
0: Yeah, so people can get the book on Amazon all around the world. That's really simple. <laughs> um, it's called Chasing Extreme. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> I've got to throw it out there. Um, but, yeah, I, I would love to hear your thoughts. If, if you liked it, leave a review because that, that helps me apparently. Um, everyone says it and I don't understand why but I'm just (laughs) going to say it as well so leave a review that'd be great Um, but you can also reach out to me on social media at Luke Taberski, and if you want to find everything that I do uh, you can go to lukezburski.com and I've got my own short little podcast and I've got videos of all my adventures uh, which you can get documentary for The Ultimate Triathlon on Amazon Prime as well and if uh, you want to come and say hi then just drop me a note and I'll reply to you.
1: Awesome. And what's next for you?
0: I'm going on a holiday this year. Finally, it's been so long.
1: (laughs) Oh, you're just going to relax. uh, Just relax.
0: I never said that. I said (laughs) I'm going on a holiday. That's different. I have never been to Ireland. And I thought since I live in England, I thought I should go to Ireland. And I'm going to run the length of Ireland. By myself self-supported carrying a backpack uh, picking up food and water along the way and run it in nine days so basically i'm going to be running about 700 kilometers in nine days which is the equivalent to about uh, a marathon and two-thirds a day for nine days sleeping under trees and in fields and stuff like that and that's my summer holiday
1: that's insane. It sounds amazing. It, do, it does sound It does amazing. sound amazing. It <laughs> sounds amazing, actually. You're going to have a lot of time for self reflection and clarity. Clarity, for sure. So, are you, going, are you going north to south or south to north?
0: I thought I'd make it more difficult and go uphill and go from south to north.
1: Nice. And when are you going to do this?
0: Yeah, looking at my calendar, it's the 25th of uh, June. I'm starting. And uh, yes, just because the days will be really long. So I thought uh, it would be a lot nicer to do it when it's light for more for longer. But also the 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 reason why <laughs> to, to go over what I just mentioned is I I haven't done a out and out proper adventure, like in the purest term where it's just me and and an adventure basically i haven't done that for a long time because the ultimate triathlon i had a crew even though very small four people and i did a 500 kilometer triathlon last summer but i had a crew and i had a film uh cameraman there as well and i've done other races and it's been years since i've done an out and out adventure and i felt like i needed to sort of go back to the roots of where it all began, whereas it's just me getting lost in the world. Um, but this is in a very um, safer place than, say, running through a tropical forest in China, yeah. That when no one th- spoke the language. And-
1: yeah, I think that. <laughs> I think that was the craziest. That's the craziest like chapter in the book, but also the most beautiful yeah. because of all the kindness that you received from people is crazy. Mm. But yeah, that was, that was insane. I think this is going to be maybe a level down from that. Hopefully a level <laughs> down from that. Cause I think you almost died in that one.
2: Are you going to document yeah, this one? I
0: definitely, yeah, I will. Um, I'll be sharing each day on social media so people can see what it's like. I haven't decided if I'm going to actually like take a GoPro and film parts of it because the reason why I want to go and just have an adventure by myself, you know, like they speak the language, my phone works there. I'll have plenty of money. It is, you know, I know it sounds crazy, but it is only like just over a marathon and a half a day. I've got the whole day to do it. I've got no plans to do anything else. So it's just really me and myself and a bit of running, bit of walking, bit of laughing. So Do I want the added pressure that I'm trying to make a short little film about it? I'm not sure. I'll probably decide the night before when I'm packing, if I'm honest. I
2: love it.
1: Yeah, I love it. It sounds like exactly what you need to do. So we'll be looking forward to following that. And thank you so much, Luke. I know it's late over there in London, so we appreciate your time and and really, really grateful to be connected with you.
0: Uh, It's been my pleasure. And I've followed you guys for a while now, so it's uh, amazing to be on the on the podcast, and I'm looking forward to all the feedback from the listeners as well. So let us know.
2: Cool, awesome, awesome. thanks.